We're thinking about the life of faith. What is it like? Defining that life, we're expand, We're thinking about that because of what Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, <clears throat> excuse me, verse 20. I'm going to begin reading tonight, just in reminding ourselves of this. In verse 19, because it fits with what we thought about last week. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. We have been looking at that subject over these months, um, thinking together about it from different angles. Tonight I want to turn to the book of John, John chapter 15, as the Lord himself explains that life, this life of faith in himself. And just note as we're going to this, I don't think there is any passage, any section of the Word of God which more clearly describes to us the difference between Christianity and religion than these chapters. The disciples are in a dilemma. It's the last night before Jesus goes to the cross. He is there ready to ready to take on the sin of the world. But as he goes into this situation, that's a distress on the, the disciples. He is the master. He is the one they're following. He is the one that teaches. He is the one that does everything. And now he says he's leaving. These chapters are meant to build that group of men up and prepare them for what's ahead. The main thrust is that it's better for you that I go. It is a better situation that you will be in when I am gone than you are with me right beside you. The chapters are meant to bring us to that, or to help us understand that situation. This is the center of it. This is also uh, important because it's the last of the I am statements. It is kind of the culmination, the peak of what those great I am statements say. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection in the life. And then in these chapters, he says two things about who he is. I am the way, the truth, and the life. But then in this key place, he says, I am the true vine. I'm the true vine. He's, he's reaching the top now of what all these have led to. And in this section, we have a a tremendous statement of what our relationship is. Now, again, the the issue in all of these chapters is relationship. You have to understand this relationship. The Lord is going to leave physically from this earth, but they are going to have a relationship with the Father. They are going to have a relationship with the Lord. They will have a relationship with the Spirit of God. The Christianity is all about a relationship which issues in real life because that was the purpose. Remember back... Early in our studies, we said this, that the Lord says that the reason I came, I came that they might have life, that the sheep might have life and have it abundantly. Now he's reaching the peak of, of what that abundant life is all about. Let me say this about the uh, section. Um, it is addressed to the apostles. There's no question about this. The, the 11 men who are listening to this message were, are the men that 
are the foundational, or will give the foundational teaching for the church. In the book of Ephesians, Paul says that the church is built on the teaching of the apostles and the prophets. And he's speaking about these men right here. So that this is addressed to the men who, who will build the church. And he is talk, talking to them about the mission that they are going to go on. But he is also speaking to all of us. And that's important. He's, he's talking to us because we are the church which is built on all this. That the same relationships that they under or that they were involved in are the relationships we're involved in. This way they had to live is the way we have to live. It's all built on this same premise. So it's, it has to do with them, but it has to do with us also. <clears throat> now, before we look at this, I want to read the whole passage because, again, you may not have read it just recently, and uh, if you haven't, it's important that we have the whole thing in front of us. We're going to try to go through the entire section tonight. We're going to try, and I think we can make it, but that demands we see it first. So let's turn to John chapter 15, and I am going to begin reading in verse number 1, John 15, 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. You're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire. And they're burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. I'm going to continue reading just a moment, but it should be noted that that is the end of the vine section of this. It's at that point that the picture, the illustration of the vine stops and now he makes comment on the Christian life in light of that. So he begins in verse 9 saying this, Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, so that my joy might be in you, and that your joy might be made full. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Very important verse here to conclude it, to get the point of the passage. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. This I command you, that you love one another. 
Let's commit our time to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come and give you thanks for your word. Thank you for a word settled. And we're asking you tonight for that ministry, that work of the Spirit of God in our hearts to open our minds and hearts to your truth. Father, do your work. We thank you for that pruning work. We thank you for the illuminating work. We thank you for all that you want to do for us so that we can glorify your name. And we're asking you to do it so that in these days, in these difficult days, that you will strengthen us to fulfill your purpose in our existence. So we're coming and trusting you for that. We commit the night to you, and we would pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus starts off this section by saying, I am the true vine. He's the true vine, and that obviously to those disciples would have meant something because all through the Old Testament, Israel is called God's vine. We won't go back over all those passages, but it's a repeated picture. That they are the people of God, that they have a purpose to fulfill. The sad part about the Old Testament passages speaking about Israel as a vine is that they all are involved in a rebuke. They all tell how Israel has failed to be what they were called to be. Now, again, it's just one of the ways that they are pictured as failing to be what they were called to be. But we saw just a few weeks ago, we were thinking about Israel's calling, about the covenant was established. And God said the essence of that covenant was that you'll be my people, I'll be your God. And if you'll do that, if you'll walk with me, then I will make you. And part of that was a kingdom of priests. That kind of fits with what God said to Abraham when he called him. He said that in you all the ends of the earth, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. The purpose of God in calling Abraham was not just that Abraham should be blessed and his family should be blessed, but God would do a work through that family, through the nation which would grow from that family, so that the entirety of the earth would be blessed. Um, In the Old Testament, Israel never fulfilled that calling. And they missed on two counts. That would require two things from them. Summing up is simplistic in a sense, but there's two things that are required for them to be light on this earth. The first is character. Part of what God did was call them to live lives which were different than the way other people lived lives. And by living lives that were different than the way other people lived lives, they would shed light to the world. But they had to have that character. And the first rebuke that is his most common rebuke in the Old Testament is that Israel, although God treated them with such care, failed to produce the kind of character that reflected who God was. Probably the most pointed passage on that is in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 5, where Isaiah sings the song of his well-beloved concerning his vineyard. He tells her how he took care of that vineyard, and he specially treated it with everything that it needed. But when he says, when he went to it to see its fruit, he found out that it had wild fruit. And that means just that there was no difference between Israel in the way they lived and the 
people around them in the way they lived. Now, that happened for a reason, and we need to go back just real quickly to this point. At the very beginning of our study, we thought about what the big issues are, and we said in the issue of life, and this is where faith really, it's where the breakdown comes in our faith is this. Where is life found? The whole world is living under a delusion. That's the way God sees it. The whole world is living in a, under a delusion. And that delusion is that you can find an experience of real life by milking this world, earth while you're alive on it. Grab for what you can get. There's, it's, it's there to be found. It might be found in sexual relationships. It might be found in travel or owning something or being king of something or whatever. But it's to be found out there. And so a person becomes involved in that. When God calls you to himself, you're going to have to let go of that lie. If you don't, you're not really living the life of faith. Does that make sense? You have to let go, and that's what Israel wouldn't do. They wanted to find their life on this earth. God called them to do it this particular way, and it got in the way of their, their search for life. Now, they didn't find life. But they did separate themselves from God. So that was the first side, the character. But because their character wasn't what it ought to have been, their mission was never fulfilled. A few years ago, we were thinking about the book of Isaiah, and I, I trust you can remember some of that that we went through. Is he talks about Israel as the servant of God and how they failed, and the, he then shifts to Jesus as the servant of God in the picture because he's going to have to fulfill what these people didn't fulfill by their, their calling. And that's why in the book of Ezekiel, when he gets to that point, and it's, it's important for the, um, the imagery here in this particular passage, Ezekiel was right before God finally judges them for their complete and utter failure and the idolatry and all the rest of it. And he asked this question, what good is the wood from a vine? What good is it? If a vine, this is the way Ezekiel puts it, if a vine doesn't bear fruit, what do you do with a vine? It's worthless. You can't make anything out of it. You can't even make a peg, he says. It's too weak even to make a peg out of it. So if a vine doesn't bear fruit, Ezekiel says, the only thing we can do is cut it down and burn it. All right, now, that image is important because I think that the Lord picks up this. Remember, these men have been to, um, they've been to synagogue every week. And when you go to synagogue, you read through the Bible, and they knew the whole Old Testament pretty well. Now, I didn't memorize it, but they knew it pretty well. And they would have known the imagery. They would have picked all that up. They had failed on two counts. Jesus says, I am the true vine. Jesus had not failed on those two points. And he describes in this book, in the book of John, how he lives. And I want to look at a couple of these just to get it all clear in front of us. In John chapter 8, verse 29. Let's turn to John chapter 8, verse 29. The Lord describing his character and how he lived on a day-to-day basis. I'm going to begin reading it again in verse 28. Uh, and then we'll go to 29. When you lift up the Son of Man... Then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own initiative, but I, but I speak these things as the Father has taught me. As I'm, doing, I'm just doing what he told me to do is what it means there. And he who sent me is with me. 
He's not left me alone. For I always do the things which are pleasing to him. It's important the way that is worded and the way it comes out there because it's the way John understands commandment. And we're just remember that for later in our message when we come back to this idea of keeping the commandments. This is how Jesus kept the commandments. What did he do? He says he lived in such a way that he loved God, his Father, and he did the things that pleased his Father, and he always did them. Because he always did them, he was able to fulfill the mission that God had for him. If you go to John chapter 17, we have, this is the Lord summing up his life, all right? And again, we don't have time to read the context here, but he's, he's praying. This is part of the prayer that finishes out this time in, with his disciples before the crucifixion. And he says this in verse 4, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, he still has a step to go, but it, he's in the prayer. He's saying this. Everything you ask of me, I have accomplished. I did it. And because he did it, and because he would continue to do it that next morning at the cross, there is the potential for people to have life. Right? To have life. As the question comes, of, as Jesus goes through this parable, or not parable, in this illustration, what is the goal that he is after in this illustration? Well, the goal that he's after is fruitfulness. And the Lord has described already in the book how that fruitfulness will come to pass. It all kind of fits together here. He says this, unless the corn of wheat falls into the ground and dies. He's talking about himself there. Unless this corn of wheat, he said, falls into the ground and dies, it will abide by itself alone. I'll be the one who knows God, but nobody else will ever know God. Nobody else will ever be what God called them to be unless I die. But if it dies, he says, it brings forth much fruit. Fruitfulness. That's a big part in the whole picture here. What is the fruitfulness about? Well, ultimately, it has to do with people knowing God. The desire that God has that people would actually know him. That's why he called Israel was to set this nation aside and so work in them that the light of God permeated the earth. It didn't. It didn't. It failed in the Old Testament to completely fulfill that. But that was his purpose. And that's his purpose in the Lord Jesus Christ. He finished the, the work that God gave him to do. That's who he is as the true vine. But that's not the whole picture here. And let me just say as we go on here, just a, this is a complete aside, uh, put this in here. Um, this is an illustration. And anybody that's ever stood up at a, and tried to preach and give an illustration runs into this problem. Nothing, none of them work exactly. All right? They, they're... You can't push an illustration down every point, right? And that's important as we listen to this. It's an illustration. It's not an allegory. Everything doesn't mean something. There's some things that are said that have to be said because that's the way an illustration works. All right? You just, you have to fit it together. Lord has a very clear desire in, in bringing this up. I'm the true vine, but you are the branches. 
That's the part we want to think about tonight. What does it mean that we are the branches, and how does that fit? Now, there are two things we should say. It's, it's down at the bottom of the page there about that, the relationship. Because this, be, this can be kind of perverted two ways. One, you can ignore it, all right? You can ignore it. You can miss this truth by ignoring it, pretending that you can live the Christian life without being vitally related to the vine. You can't do it. We will see that in just a moment. The other one, and again, I'm just going to pass it by. You may run into it somewhere. Uh, I've read a number of books back along the way in which men got kind of close to this one. You see, I am not Jesus. I'm in the Lord, but I'm not the Lord. And I'm not ever going to be absorbed into the Lord. Does that make sense? I have a vital union with him. That's the picture it is. But we will never become the vine. He is the vine. We are branches. And he's making a distinction there. Although we share a life, we are not the same. That's, sometimes you have a picture, and again, I'm, I know even Hudson Taylor said this one point, and so I back off kind of, but if you take it, to, it's, you take it this direction, it, it messes up that the Lord is not only the vine, he's the roots and the branches and all the rest of it. There's a problem with that because I'm being pruned, and Jesus doesn't need pruned. The Lord Jesus Christ is perfect in his, his entirety. But this passage talks about us being pruned in order that fruitfulness might increase. If, if you go too far with that, you're going to run into a problem. All I'm saying is just back off. If it gets if you get too tight on that one. So we are distinct, and yet we are bound. And we need to look at what is the purpose of all that. Well, the purpose, he says, is fruitfulness. And let's, let's look at that in the passage. It is demanded of the disciple. Every branch, it says in verse 2, chapter 15, verse 2, says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. Later on, he's going to say that if they don't bear fruit, I'm going to take them and burn them. All right? that's, that's picking up the language of Ezekiel. And although this is a very comforting and very encouraging passage, it is also a very severe passage in that. That a person who doesn't bear fruit is worthless. That no matter how much you pretend to be following God and the rest, if you're not bearing fruit, your life doesn't count. He says it's a demand that's made upon him. It's something we have to do. We have to bear fruit. And again, it, it's because we can get kind of sloppy. We can get into that mentality of, you know, I'll, I'll do my duty with regards to Christianity, but it doesn't matter what, what happens in your life. Your life matters, and if you're going to understand Christianity at all, if you're going to understand the relationship that faith has at all, you've got to understand that your life has to count in other people's lives. It has to, because that's the nature of the Lord we serve. He comes to seek and to save that which is lost. And if he is going to be alive in me, I have to be involved in seeking to save that which is lost. In building up the body, which is we saw last week, building up the body that he loves, the church that he is, is building on this earth, I have to be involved in that. And so he says here that um, if that's not what you're about, then you're Christian, you're just now, he's not talking about losing a salvation here. He's just pointing out that if a, if a person isn't bearing fruit, that they are not part of the program. 
and that they will be pushed off to the side. He's very severe on that, and we need to note it along the way. So it is demanded of a person. The second thing about that fruitfulness is that it is impossible in and of yourself. Apart from the Lord, it is absolutely impossible. Let me look at a couple of those verses. First of all, in chapter 15, verse 4, it says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, which is true. You cut a branch off a tree, and it won't uh, exactly bear fruit. So that's the picture there. All right. So neither can you, unless you abide in me. There is no potential for life coming to you from me apart from the Lord. I can memorize as much scripture as I want. I do all the rituals I want to go through. But unless I remain in that vital relationship, a life doesn't flow. And you need him. You don't need me. You don't need me in the sense that what I have to say isn't going to change you. It's what he does while we are meditating, while we are before him. It is his presence in this meeting that matters. It is his word being spoken that matters because he will take his word and he will change lives through it. But in order for that to take place, this is what he's saying, there is no alternative, there is none to me Living in Him, remaining in Him, whatever that means. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. It absolutely has to be so. So it's demanded of me. I can't do anything apart from Him. But if I allow that to take place, my life could glorify the Father. Verse 8, my Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. I'm jumping way ahead here. The two sections, verses 1 through 8 and 9 through 16 particularly, actually are parallel in thought. One's the imagery of the vine. The second part is a commentary on it. And if we think about this idea of glorifying God, let's go to the last verse and says, or to verse 16. It says, this, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. I'll stop there for right now. You would go and bear fruit and your fruit would remain. Now, we've already been through this again before, but we're just trying to get, get things grilled into our mind. So it's, it's there forever. In my life, there's a lot of things I've done, right? As I told people, just since I've been here forever, right? <laughs> I was here when there wasn't anything here to be here. So anyway, and, and I saw it all built, but there isn't a building on this campus that I didn't have a hand in building. Right? I spent hours and hours and hours building, building furniture, putting up, uh, putting roofs on buildings, building things. Okay, I did all that work. All of it will perish. All of it. Does that make sense? All of it's going to disappear. It's going to burn up. 
There was lots of hours put into that. I'm not crying. I'm not. It's, it's, and it was the will of God that I be involved in that. But that won't remain. That won't be here when everything is finished. But tonight, I'm telling you, this is very important to all of us. Tonight, in this meeting, things could happen which will reverberate throughout eternity. It can happen tonight, and I believe it will happen tonight. Because if we trust Him, then fruit is born. Not because I'm brilliant, not because I know certain things, not because of anything other than there is a flow of life. And if I will remain in the right place with Him, that life will flow and there will be something that remains. I believe that is exactly what the Lord was saying when He says, Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt and thieves break through and steal, which we all know that's the way it is, right? Try to maintain a house, right? Try to maintain a car. Try to maintain anything. And you find out that he's right on that. But what does he say? Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Lay them up. Now, the question comes, how am I going to lay up those treasures in heaven? How am I going to do it? Glad you asked that question because that's what we just happened to be getting to. How is that all going to happen? How can I? But it glorifies God when this fruit is born. But remember the fruit that we're talking about here is not just the fruit of my own character. It's the fruit of character which results in God being able to do his work in other lives. Right? So because the bearing of fruit in this passage has to do with the vine the true vine. In the Old Testament, the vine was there in order that God's purpose could be fulfilled on this earth. Israel failed. Jesus has done it. And through Him, we can do it. Right? We can bring that to pass. And so it's, it's fruitfulness, which is the key. And so, as we go there, that it's, the fruitfulness is demanded. But what is the means to that fruitfulness? This maybe is one of the hardest passages to me to expound and get. I mean, it's just difficult because of the the positioning of the word and the the tense that's been. abide. You know, when you when you're teaching, you want to get something you can call people to do. You know, die to your life in this world. You can you can get on that one, right? Trust the Lord on this particular thing. You know, it's hard to get, get excited about. Sit still. Just remain where you're at. I mean, how do you build this? All right. But there's two sides of this. And this is where, again, the picture comes. And we have to realize the limitations of the illustration. All right. I have never seen branches trying to get out of trees. All right. They, they don't try that. There's no, you don't have to go out every day and, and, you know, paste your branches back on your trees and put them back or tie them so that they can't get away. There's no, there's no tendency to this. And commentators have trouble with that because if you're going to buy it, you, you, once it's there, it's there. What do you do about this? I mean, how do you, how do you expound, remain there, All right? But the very fact that the Lord does it the way he does it indicates that at this point, the illustration breaks down and the reality becomes, we have to look at it in a different way. Does that make sense? The illustration can't go this far because when he says this, 
when he says abide, and he's going to say abide in me, and later on he's going to say abide in my love, the word is very strong. I mean, the, the tense is strong. Do this. I mean, this is something to commit yourself to doing. Take action on this and take action right now. He's speaking to his own disciples, right? He's speaking to men who have lived out here and they have followed him, but they have not been united to him, right? And he says to them, I'm the vine and you're the branches and you're going to be in me and I'm going to be in you. Now, here's what I want you to do about that. I want you to abide in me. I want you to commit yourself to a place where this is where you're going to derive your life. This is the way you are going to do it. This is where the the walk of faith comes. Now, this is the Lord's way of putting it. This is the same thing that we read at the beginning from the Apostle Paul. That the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. What is it that I'm committing myself to? Well, I have, here's the Lord. And he has life. And when I came to him, he placed me into him. He united me to himself in a mysterious way that I can't fully explain. I can't describe to you, but we are one. We're not the same, but we share a life. It's his life. Now, he says to me and he says to you, first of all, that you are to make up your mind that that is the way you are going to live. You are going to live in this relationship. And you are in that act of doing this, you are going to purposefully receive from me what you need in life. Now he goes to a second picture though. And I think that it's important in this teaching on abiding, that we also look at the other side of it. He also says, he uses the same tense again in verse 9. All right? In verse 9, uh, which we read just a moment ago, but let's look at it again. <clears throat> just as the Father has loved me, I've also loved you. Abide, same strong approach, abide in my love. Stay there. This, this is real important <laughs> that we, we grab it. It is a life of faith, but he says it's also a life of love, right? You are to know that I've loved you, and you are to make up your mind to trust me concerning that. That's the important one. And I know that I say it a lot, but it's, it's the way I believe. You have to get clear in your heart about the fact that God has loved you in Christ. You have to get clear on this. And the proof of the fact that he loved you is what he did for you on the cross. When Jesus Christ died for my sins on a cross... He was demonstrating that's all the proof I will ever need that he loves me. Because I was his enemy. If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. That is the proof. You don't need anything beyond that. Because in this life, we have no guarantee of how it's going to go. We have no guarantee of what kind of bumps and bruises we will run into. 
We don't know what kind of opposition we could face in our lifetime in this country as the servants of Jesus Christ. And no matter how bad it goes, it does not affect, it should not affect the fact that I am confident that I am loved by Jesus Christ. Because if you're going to look for his love in any other place, you're going to find it slipping away. You're going to find your confidence in it slipping away because life is hard. And he does not say that life is going to get easy because you know him. Just read through the Apostle Paul's record of his life and the things that he called light affliction. Humiliations. Beatings, imprisonments, uh, rejection by the brethren, just all the stuff he went through, shipwreck, all kinds of problems in his life. But he could still say, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's no big deal. It's no big deal because he loved me. But I don't know that because I've had it easy. And I don't know that because things are working out the way I want them to work out. I know that because when I was dead in my trespasses and sins and helplessly bound in a prison from which I could not escape, he came and got me. Now, that's the love that, with which he loved. He says, the Father loved me. That's a tremendous thought. You can, I'll leave that one for you to meditate on. This relationship between the Father and the Son. He says, in the same way that he's loved me. I have loved you. Now, he says, make up your mind to this. And so that's, that's real important in this day in Christianity because we are really, I think we're really sloppy on this one. We're crying about a whole lot of things that are happening. Not that they're not painful. I'm not going to, but... They make us slip away from a confidence in the love of God. If you take the, the love that God has for you out as a foundation, your Christianity is going to go all over the place. You cannot walk a stable life. If that is not so, then we are adrift. But it is so. It is so. And he says, make up your mind to it. So those two things are there. That you should abide, make up your mind, I'm going to abide receiving the life of Jesus Christ. And I am going to live by a commitment. I am going to live inside of the realm of being loved by Jesus Christ. Those are two things we have to do by faith, right? We're going to do those by faith, right? That's what we, this is where the life of faith comes. And we have to, to do that. Now, there's one more abide here that comes in, and I want to, to look at that also. It's in between the two of those. <clears throat> and that is um, found back up in verse 7, right? In chapter 15, verse 7, it says this, If you abide in me, and he says, And my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Right? This is a theme that's been in the book of John uh, already. It said, if you continue, that's the way it's translated in most translations, if you continue in my word, then you're real disciples. And you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But the word there is exactly the same words here. If you abide in my word, if you continue in it, 
if you keep on going along what I've said, then you're real disciples and you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And he goes on to describe it. So he says, you have to abide in me. You're going to have to do that by letting the words that I've said to you abide in you. Now, we said this last week, and I want to say it again. You want to live the life of faith? You're going to have to get in the Word of God. And of the people that have ever existed on the face of the earth, we are the most blessed with regards to the Word of God. If you are an English-speaking person in this century, you are the most blessed with regards to the Word of God because there is more about the Word of God in the English language than there is in all the other languages of the world combined. And how many translations do we have? How many things are available to you on the computer so you can know what tense things are? You can know, you you can do this yourself on the exposition of a passage. Um, Middle ages, they couldn't do that. Didn't have it. Long time. People didn't have the Word of God. They had to go to the, the, they had to go to creeds and the rest of it because they didn't have the Word in their hands. But you have it and I have it. Now, we have a potential to live in Christ in a way they didn't have a potential to live in Christ because we know the words. We should know the words. And so he says this, if they abide, if they remain in you, if you keep them there, all right? And I want to say again, in all these things, why wouldn't you keep them there? What stops them from being there? Other thoughts? Other actions? Other other ways of thinking, because that's what he's getting down to here. He's not getting down to just memorizing Scripture. He's talking about the fact that as I read the Word of God, the Spirit of God transforms. He renews my mind. He changes the way I look at life. But what he's changing is a change from the way this world thinks about life to the way he thinks about life. If you don't let the Word of God saturate your being, You're going to remain trying to do the will of God with a mentality, which is exactly the same mentality out there. That's why the gospel which promises blessing is so very popular. Because it offers religion which gives me exactly what the world is after. Pleasant things. Good experiences, health, wealth, and whatever else. It's going to be popular. Why is it going to be popular? Because that's the human heart. The human heart which is still trying to find from this world something which is life. But it's not there. The Lord says, now let that abide in you. Now I want to go back to that abide in my love here for just a second. Because I want to, to finish out that thought. I want to read on in the section there, beginning again at verse 9. Just as the Father has loved me, I have, loved, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And then he says this, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. Now, it was an interesting exercise. I was thinking yesterday. 
um, about this passage. And I thought, you know what I should do is go back in the book of John and see what are the things that he's commanded that he's talking about. Because this is John writing, you know, if you keep my commandments, if you do what, then you abide in my love. This is how to do it. Keep Do what I said to do. So I read through the book of John. You know, there's hardly any commandments in the book of John. I don't know if you ever read through that and thought about it. I am not arguing against commandments. I'm just saying that in the context here, if this is John speaking, this is Jesus as it's, it's collecting here, what are those commandments? Well, the commandments that he gives people to follow are come to me. They are, they are commands to believe. Then there is a command that he gives to his disciples when he gets irritated with them one day. He says, you said, don't say four months and then comes the harvest. Get your eyes up. The heart, the, the fields are white to harvest. Okay, there was a command. Think about the harvest field. That, again, after you get past that, the next time I find any instruction that you could call a command, to the disciples comes in that passage that we talked about earlier. Except the corn of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it abides by itself alone. The Lord talked about himself there. But then right after that, he says this, if any man wants to serve me, let him follow me. Get on. This is, this is where I have to go. And if you want to serve me, that's where you're going to have to go. You're going to have to accept the principle on which I live if you're going to go in there. Now that is until right after this, that's all the commands you have. Then what do you have? He's going to give this command. This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. It's an interesting way that is, that is worded. This is that you continue to love one another just as I have once for all loved you. He relates his love to us in that action on the cross. He tells us that we should love one another just like he loved him, like he has once for all loved us. Very demanding again, because that gets back to that death to our life, right? We're going to do that. Anyway, back to the point. <clears throat> We're thinking about this. Um, listen to the way the Lord says this. Um, you are to keep my commandments just as I have kept the Father's commandments. Now, that, that's a little bit of a strange thought, isn't it? You see, it's easy to think of the Lord giving us things to do. You know, here it is, don't do this, do this. You know, you can go through the Sermon on the Mount, and you can see things that were to be and not to be. But it's a little hard for me to picture the Father saying to the Son, don't do this, don't do that. That isn't the picture we have, and this, is, this gets you down to what, what the Lord is. This is the way the life goes. This is what we were talking about last week. You can't live that way. Where are you going to live? You're going to live out of a relationship. This is what separates us from the world of religion. The fact that you have the very, uh, the possibility to experience fellowship with the eternal God every day. And from that fellowship, derive life. Because that's how the Lord lived. He said, I always do the things. This is how he fulfilled the commandments of his father. I do the things which my father wants me to do. I listen to what he has to say, and then I tell people that. But you see, the reason he could do that is because Jesus Christ on this earth had exactly the same goal in mind that his father did. They had different roles because of their different parts in the Godhead. 
Each of them has their own role to play, but they have one common desire. There was no, the heartbeat of, of the Father was the heartbeat of Jesus, so it was His delight to do what the Father wanted done because there was a plan that they had to fulfill. Now, if I'm going to understand a life of faith, we have to get into that mode, right? So we're to keep the commandments in the same way Jesus kept the commandments. And that's how, that's how he remained in his father's love, by keeping in step with what his father was out, out to do. But it was never, there was never a time except at Gethsemane. That is the only time when the Son of God ever in any sense balked at what the Father was asking him to do. The enormity of that price was so great that it, he was a little antsy about it as a man facing what he was going to have to do. But he didn't stop. And even though there were great drops of blood came down because of the agony of that moment, the writer of Hebrews assures us that at the same time, who for the joy set before him, the joy set before him endured it. Because he knew that it was right and there is a joy out there. That joy, as far as the book of John is concerned, is two sides to it. It is the joy that he is fulfilling the purpose of his father. It is the joy that the purpose is, is actually coming to pass. Leon Morris, in his commentary on John, quotes a man who who talks about this joy. And he said, you have to understand that in the book of of John, the joy is a a joy that is generated by creative activity coming to pass. By a person completing an action of creative power. How about that? Put it all together. There's a joy that comes to the Lord because the church is coming to pass. Now he says this to them. I want you to enter into my joy. I want you to enter into my joy. I'm telling you these things so that the joy that I have, you might have. And what is that joy going to be if we're going to enter into this life? What's going to be the joy of being involved in the creative work of God, in the lives of people that are right around us. So he comes to the end of the, the, the book there, and the end of the section, and we've already looked at the passage. You didn't choose me. I chose you. Now, that's very important to us tonight. Because we know the Lord, Right? We don't know the Lord because we sought after him. We know the Lord because he came to God, get us. I know I've got the extreme testimony, but I was going the other direction and I was running from him when he caught me, trapped me, and turned my heart around. So that I can say tonight that there is no chance that if it would have ever rested on my shoulders, I would have been as lost as you can be because I didn't want to be saved. I wanted to get away from the whole situation of church. I came all the way to Greenville to get there and what I meet, the people of God, because God was after me. All right, now, he says, but that's true for every one of us. That's not just true for me. You are in that situation. The Lord came and individually got you. Isn't that precious? 
that the King of kings and the Lord of lords had me in mind, had you in mind, and came and gone. You didn't choose me, he said. And this, of course, was true for all the apostles. They didn't choose him. Peter, come follow me. I'll make you a fisher of men. John, come. It was a call. You didn't choose me. I chose you. And he says, I ordained you. The word ordained or um, appointed, um, it's kind of odd there, but it's the same. It, it, it's connected to the word which the Lord used when he described his giving of his life on the cross. It's, it's the same word. It's, it doesn't mean exactly the same thing because he, he, he picked this out to be set out. It's not just to set apart, but to be cut out for something. He appointed you for something. He appointed me for something. What is it? He appointed us to go and bear fruit. Two points of that. It's easy to miss the first one. He appointed us to go. It's very similar to the Great Commission, right? Going. Go. It is the thought that every one of those disciples, and we're involved in this too, are on a mission the go isn't go to some remote part of the, the world. The go is, get this in your mind. You have a work to do. Leave this place and go do it. Now he's talking to disciples there. Go, that you should go. That you should, you should go with a sense of purpose. Not just living your life however it hits you and just seeing how things flow over your being. But go with directedness. Go with purpose. Go forward, understanding what God is what God is doing. Paul prayed for the Colossian church that they would be filled with the knowledge of the will of God. They should be filled with the knowledge. They should understand what God is about and what He's doing, and that out of that they can live the way they ought to live. He just told them before this that that's the difference between being a slave and being a friend. He says, You're, I'm your, you can be my friend here because I'm going to share with you exactly what I'm doing. We know tonight, as, as if you've read the Word of God, you know what God is doing. He's building a church. That's the only thing that matters on this earth. The politics don't finally matter. The pleasures don't matter. The books don't matter. The entertainment doesn't matter. In the middle of this world, a church is being built which is eternal. By the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, that matters. He says, go with purpose. And then was it, go and bear fruit. Go and bear fruit. And again, I want to come back to that encouraging word, I think. That you can, in your life, where you are, it's the purpose. If you'll abide, that is, set yourself right there. In your circumstances, God intends for you to do things which will make an eternal difference in lives, whether it's in the church or outside the church. It's a tremendous passage. And it, it adds a lot of depth to what Paul is saying. Is, I've been crucified with Christ. I live. You know, the, the Christ lives in me. And the life I'm now living, the life, and what kind of life was it? It's a life to bear fruit. In the life that I now live, I live by what? By trusting him who loved me and gave himself for me. All the elements of this passage are in that, that, that statement. Where are we tonight? Did you ever make up your mind to this? It's a great passage, abide. But we don't want to passively go by it. Did you ever purpose, make up your mind, I'm going to live there? 
I'm going to live trusting the Lord to let his life flow through me. I am going to live trusting. I'm going to live in this continuous consciousness of the one who loves me, loved me and gave himself for me. And I am going to flow, allow life to go along in that purpose, out of that to go with purpose into the circumstances that I live. Trusting him through me to bring to pass eternal works which will never pass away. Fruit that remains. It's a tremendous passage. If you haven't done it, do it. There's no sense in us talking about faith if we're not going to make the commitment to do it. Okay, well, let's pray. Father, we're coming before you. We give you thanks for such wonderful love. We thank you for that day when you came and got us. Lord, we thank you for that. And you called us to yourself. We're coming and asking you to enable us to settle our faith and settle our hearts on your love and your indwelling power. We trust you for that, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.